0: The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. In this episode, we speak to Anna Baxton, an international surrogacy coordinator at My Surrogacy Journey, about her personal journey to parenthood following the birth of her three children, all born via international surrogacy, and how My Surrogacy Journey can help intended parents. What are the legal considerations in an international surrogacy arrangement? And how does Anna recommend building a relationship with an international surrogate? Hello, and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast, and to this, the second in our Modern Family series. I'm Antonia Felix, a partner in the family department at Mishcon Dorea, and I'm here today with Emma Willing, also a partner in the family team, and we're joined today by Anna Buxton.
1: Anna and her husband Ed are parents to Isla and twins Olive and Art following two surrogacy journeys. Anna had a long and difficult journey to motherhood and medical procedures and miscarriages for over 18 months. Due to very long waiting times in the UK, Anna and Ed looked to international surrogacy, with Isla being born via a surrogacy arrangement in India and Olive and Art in the US. Both journeys were complex and at times challenging, As a result of her experiences, Anna started to help other intended parents, drawing on her own journeys to support and educate them. Anna has worked with the San Diego Fertility Centre, where her twins were born, to help couples, and she now works for My Surrogacy Journey. We were previously joined on the podcast by Mike and Wes Johnson-Ellis, founders of My Surrogacy Journey, and we are really excited that Anna has been able to join us today.
0: Yes, thank you, Anna, for joining us. You've had um, an incredible busy 12, 18 months working with My Surrogacy Journey during the COVID crisis and juggling parenting for Isla Olive and Art. So before we talk further, I know that everyone would like to hear a little bit more about your family. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: So as you said, we have three children. Isla is nearly seven and she was born in India and the twins are three and a half and they were born in California. And when, just after the twins were born, I used to work in investment management and I've always been really open about my struggles to build a family. And just the more I talked about it, just by word of mouth, more and more people kind of came and asked me about my experience. And that's why I ended up moving out of investment management and working with San Diego Fertility Center and my surrogacy journey now. There are many more people talking about it. And obviously with social media, there's a really big community. But when we started, there were very few people talking about it. And when you, if anyone is considering surrogacy, when you start thinking about it, it feels like this insurmountable task and it's really daunting. So being able to do this now and talking to people and helping people through my own experience is great.
0: Yeah, because we talk so much about surrogacy now, but obviously, as you say back then, not as many people did talk about it. And people's journeys are so different to get to the decision-making process of saying, I want to go through surrogacy. And so did you feel still that it was a bit of a taboo subject and that you had to almost justify your decision to other people?
2: Yes. I mean, it sounds very strange to say this, but I always slightly now retrospectively consider myself quite lucky because I was told following miscarriage and medical procedure that I would 100% never carry a pregnancy and that surrogacy was my only option. For many couples, they're not given that definitive, it's never going to happen, but they've probably been struggling for years with unexplained infertility. And so making the decision to pursue surrogacy can be really difficult because it is taboo. As a woman, you feel like you're sort of giving up. And so having more people talking about it and realizing that it is an option, that it's a really good option for some people, I think it is really important.
1: And how do you feel then that the landscape has changed from when you had Isla to now in terms of the the way in which people are having a conversation about surrogacy? It is just more that that there are just that many more people talking about it. Being
2: open about it, I think there are more professionals, more engaging. You're know, doing this. I don't think there are any law firms talking openly, particularly about surrogacy. When we were doing it, we kind of struggled to find someone who, in this country, was you know, that they were
0: professional.
2: So there's just more and more people out there supporting everyone.
0: So one of the things that people worry about, particularly in the UK, is the surrogate changing their mind and this panic that the plan will change and also letting someone else carry the child that you've longed for if you've had that fertility journey beforehand do you have top tips of how to deal with feeling comfortable with your surrogate and some people obviously decide not to get to know them that well and then it might change or they really want to have that relationship what was your experience as well we always
2: wanted to have children in the UK with a surrogate here because I wanted to be close to the pregnancy Given the timeframes that were being quoted to us at the time, the the organizations that were helping people were quoting three-plus years. And we'd already had three years of infertility. So that is what took us abroad. And I never struggled with the idea of another woman carrying our child. If you've ever faced childlessness that you didn't want... The fact that you then get to a point where you're pregnant, you just feel so grateful that we live in a world where this is possible and there are women out there who will do this, that that, you know, I just didn't struggle with those feelings. Occasionally, obviously, I would get pangs of seeing people wear the bump or looking at pictures on Instagram and and it would make me sad. And it still does a little bit today, but it never took me very long to get over those feelings because I would remember that we were pregnant and I was going to be a mum. So... I always say to people, don't worry about that or worry about it, but it it really is something that isn't difficult once the process starts. In terms of your relationship with a surrogate, I think it's really hard to anticipate what it's going to be before you've met that woman. So I would say to people, remain open-minded because you just, don't really know. The biggest thing about surrogacy is you have to have trust in a relationship. It's a very hard thing to put into words how surreal it feels being pregnant. If you're doing it internationally with a child orbit in utero, thousands of miles apart, and you have no tangible control or role in that pregnancy at all, yet in six months' time, you're going to be a parent. And you have to trust that that woman who's carrying your child is going to look after and nurture the pregnancy in the same way that she would have done her own. And that's really hard when it's an absolute stranger. So the really important thing is to find ways to communicate and to trust each other. I remember with Holly and I, so our surrogate in California, we found that a really sort of regimented way of communicating helped because she, like many surrogates, she had young children, was really busy. While our pregnancy was really important to her, it wasn't the only thing in her life. She had her own family and her own work to deal with. So me kind of sending messages every 20 minutes, she felt pressurized to constantly be replying and that put pressure on her. I constantly needed reassurance, so we said, listen, you know, every morning when you wake up, just send me a message saying, you know, the babies are kicking, I feel fine, and then I just knew not to bother her. For some people, they need less than I did, some people need more, so I would just
1: try and work out
2: what's going to work for both of you.
1: And Isla's obviously now seven and Olive and Art are three and a half. Isla, does she have a, an understanding now? Do you talk to her about your journey?
2: Yeah, we have talked about surrogacy in our household even before kind of she could understand. It just became part of the language in the house. Her nursery is filled with you know, memorabilia and pictures from India, as is the twins. It's never really been something that we revealed to her. It was just, it just sort of is what it is. And and children are so, so amazing and so pragmatic that she just doesn't consider it. I always just say that mummy's tummy didn't work and another mummy helped grow her. And she sort of says, great. And it sounds a bit smug, but I think I, maybe I'm allowed to be smug about the kids, but, you know, I always say to her, you know, the more people it took to bring her into the world, the more, the more love it took. And she, you know, she thinks she's a bit of a miracle, which is, is fine by us. Yeah,
0: that's lovely. <laughs> Do you think that there should be a wider conversation at sort of in schools and as part of education that this is how people can have children I've always, I spoke to Isla's
2: nursery and now her school and always said, you know, this is how she was brought into the world. So please be really conscious about the language you use around family building and what a family looks like. And they have been fantastic and very open and really considered her needs when it comes to those conversations.
1: And similarly, what was your experience when you were working? How did your workplace were they did they have policies in place at that stage to deal with what's happening? They didn't at the time I
2: worked for quite a big firm and they didn't have a policy in place. They were very supportive and essentially adapted the adoption leave policy for me, although they were very supportive, having to kind of constantly adapt the language. It was as good as it could have been, I think, at the time. Looking back, I think actually companies should have her policies and it should have the right language. But they were very good. I mean, I think I did a lot of the, you know, the IVF. I did seven rounds of IVF without telling them. I think there's a lot generally of, of how people treat fertility treatment in the workplace, and there's a long way to come for that. And I didn't help – because I, well, there was obviously no physical sign of me being pregnant – I didn't tell them till quite late in the pregnancy. So I was doing a lot of it sort of behind closed doors, which wasn't, which wasn't easy. Um, so I always say to people, you know, if you can and if you feel comfortable, you know, tell people as soon as you can because you need support in the same way as if you, well, not in the same way as if you were carrying a pregnancy, but you do still need some support.
0: Yeah, you definitely do. Yeah. And that is, that is changing. I know firms are looking at the wider way of supporting yeah. people with family building just going back to when you had both of them so what was your experience of bringing your babies home back to england when they were born
2: very different between india and california so so when isla was born in india although you can't do surrogacy in india anymore but this is similar to other destinations now isla was born she didn't qualify for an indian passport but she didn't get a UK passport. So we actually spent six months living in Delhi, waiting for her passport, which, you know, Delhi is not the easiest city to live in, especially with a newborn baby. And the stress of not knowing how long it was going to be to get that passport, we we got it the day our visas ran out. It was really stressful. And in the end, it was our UK lawyer who really pushed and pushed and got us home. So I would say to anyone who's considering surrogacy, where you can't come home on a passport where the child was born, you know, think about that time and early, early speak to lawyers, because it is a very difficult and stressful time. Then flipping to the twins, and given they were born in California, the legal part of it being very different to India, and they got their American passports, we came home after, we actually came home after about 10 weeks, but that was because we just wanted to spend that time out in california lots of people come home much more quickly it was a really
1: easy and easy process and it was it was great the immigration side of things obviously is a key consideration in any international surrogacy arrangement but what other advice would you give to intended parents considering a, an international arrangement gosh um there's lots i think the biggest
2: challenge we had when we were considering international was firstly finding trusted information out there is very difficult better now but it is still difficult and secondly I think balancing your often desperation to build a family with the time it takes to pursue essentially a responsible journey is really difficult so you have to you have to take a step back and firstly think, you know, however desperate you are to have a family, that cannot come at the expense of another woman's well-being or even human rights. And secondly, that Ed and I always said, you know, any child that we bought into the world through surrogacy had a right to a story about how they were born that was ethical and responsible, and that we were proud of. And when they were older, they could be proud of sharing. So I would always say to people, firstly, take that step back and really think about where you're going to go. Because of those considerations, when we went to India, we physically went out to India. We visited clinics, we spoke to lawyers, we spoke to charities, we saw some things that we were absolutely not comfortable with. But then we found people who were doing surrogacy in a responsible, ethical way, and we were really comfortable, and then we moved forward, and and Isla was born. We then, when we came to our sibling journey, before going to the US, we actually tried Canada, and because it was Canada, we thought, well, it's, it's Canada, you can trust everyone, it's, you know, it's a lovely country, so we went in totally blind and naive, and ultimately we were matched with a woman who neither physically or emotionally should never have been a surrogate, we weren't supported, she wasn't supported. We had two failed transfers, a miscarriage, and, you know, suffered untold heartache, both us and also our surrogate. And it had a huge financial impact. So I would always say to people, do your due diligence. Surrogacy is emotionally and financially and physically and legally really complicated. Nothing's insurmountable, but you need to understand all those buckets and understand what goes into all of them. And I think ensure that any woman who's going to be your surrogate is given the time and the space and the resources to make sure she's educated on all of those things and make sure that whether it's the clinic or the agency or her lawyer's, Do all of those things. And once everyone is educated, once everyone knows their expectations, what you expect of each other, then you can have a balanced relationship. And ultimately, that is what leads to hopefully a successful surrogacy journey. Um, And that's really where my surrogacy journey came from. It was about connecting people with the right information and the right professionals so that they can build a sort of trusted team to support them.
0: And that was actually going to lead on to my next question. So if someone doesn't know where to start, but they know that that's the journey they want to go on, they come to you at My Surrogacy Journey. And what what happens then, just so that everyone understands exactly what you do? And we heard a bit before from Mike and Wes as well. So if someone is considering
2: international, what we will do is look at the options. And at My Surrogacy Journey, generally we're, we're talking about the US and Canada. First and foremost, international surrogacy is phenomenally expensive, and it's really important for people to understand why it's so expensive, all the buckets of costs, so they can understand if it fits right for them. So we go through the costs, the budget, their expectations in terms of time frame, the legal considerations, and once we sort of know all of that it's then that we start helping to kind of build that trusted team. So whether you're creating embryos in the UK and shipping them or creating them in the US, whether you need an egg donor, we match them with professionals to build. I keep coming back to the same thing about kind of building this team, but that's what you need to do. And I think it's really important for people to choose the clinic that they like and they trust and the agency and the lawyer. So we give them access to those people and then and people then choose who, who they want to work with.
1: So you and Ed, on both of your surrogacy journeys, obviously because of the waiting times in the UK at the time, opted for international options. Is it the case that it was the landscape, the legal landscape in the UK at the time and as it is now still that put you off? It definitely was a consideration
2: One of the things about the U.S. is that you have a contract with your surrogate, which is legally binding. And that is really comforting to know that you have that. Number one, it makes you talk about a lot of things and that it's in paper and just everyone knows sort of those expectations. And then equally, that worry that although it never really happens, that In the US, as soon as that baby is born, you are the legal parents, is just really, really nice to know. So it was definitely something that attracted us there. You in the UK, given that the law currently is so gray and it doesn't, it just doesn't protect either surrogates or intended parents and therefore really the children, it just is an added layer of worry and complexity that you don't really want when you're going through so much already as you mentioned earlier Antonia often people say well what if the surrogate wants to keep the baby and that and that really doesn't happen and again it comes back to if you've got a balanced relationship that's not going to happen but what always surprises me is when i speak to surrogates is that they always say what happens if i get left with a baby that i it's not my baby i don't want it and that is really indicative of the mindset of a surrogate. She was doing this to help people build a family. She, she doesn't want a baby. So I think, you know, ho- hopefully, fingers crossed, the law reform will clear up some of that kind of ambiguity in the law at the moment. I think one of the things when people are doing surrogacy in the U.S. is that because of the structure there and how a legal framework is, they say, well, I'm the parent's. In California, and we'll find home done. And they forget that in this country, we don't, we don't adhere to Californian law. And so, I, and I never quite know is it exactly the same process when you come back to the UK?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, we often have clients coming in, and they might have approached various organizations in the US. And as you've covered, They will be considered the legal parents in certain states in the US with the pre-birth orders. But there is a misunderstanding that even though they may be the legal parents in an international surrogacy arrangement in the country in which the baby's born, when they come back to the UK, they then have to go through the process of applying for a parental order. And I think obviously that's where my surrogacy journey is doing such great work in educating people about what the position is.
0: Yeah and there's also other issues that people need to think about like wills and guardianship and tax issues and things like that that you don't even consider would be part of having a baby and the earlier you think about that exactly as you say the better because you don't want to have to deal with it when you've got your lovely baby and you just want to go home and enjoy being a parent so as much as you can do earlier I think is is better and that's always our message and often it's just forgotten because there's lots of other things to focus on.
2: Often people with international journeys say, oh my goodness, you're the international parental orders are heard at the high courts. And that's where we went for both of ours. And it seems, again, quite a sort of daunting thing. And you think, well, I've got my baby. Why do I now need to go and have someone tell me I'm a legal parent? I already am. And I always say to people, honestly, those two days, I think, were kind of the happiest in our whole kind of... Well, obviously not when the babies were born, but they were such wonderful days because... Generally, they're heard at the family courts. The judges, there I think there are only a few who do them, are so supportive and so lovely. And it feels like such a sort of grand fitting way to represent kind of the magnitude of what we did to kind of have our baby, that it just was this, both times we had them, it was this wonderful celebration of sort of everything we went through to, to get them. And then at the end, we've got really nice
0: pictures in the courts Mm. and with the judge and we had a nice lunch so I mean as family lawyers it's the best isn't it Emma to be able to help someone actually have a family
1: definitely I I think for both us and for the high court judges it's probably the more joyful aspect of our (laughs) work as family lawyers Anna thank you so much for joining us today it's really amazing how you share your own journey to help others and we know it's helping others make the decision to parenthood with more knowledge and understanding We very
0: much look forward to following and supporting you in your future work. And I'd like to say thank you to Anna for joining Emma and me for this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Antonia Felix and do look out for the next episode in the series. The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. And if you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. Until next time, take care. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.